When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to No Really I'm Fine. My name is Matt. I am the producer of the show and yes, you're stuck with me today. I'm afraid. Gemma is away, so I'm filling in. Hopefully that's okay with you guys, but the uh, the conversation we have for you today is absolutely fantastic. I managed to speak to Bessie Turner and Bessie is a musician. She puts out some fantastic music. She is also a, a mental health advocate and she is very open about her own personal experiences and very open about her own mental health. And in 2018, there was a a picture she posted on Instagram, which kind of picked up a lot of uh, exposure and, and made its way into the news and, and whatnot. So we talk about that amongst many other things from her upbringing all the way through to uh, medication. And we do speak about the tragic loss of one of her friends. It really is a full-blown conversation. There is so much in there and I think you will probably get a lot out of it. I certainly did when when I had the conversation with her. I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm just going to let you listen. So this is a conversation I managed to have with Bessie Turner. So are you really fine today? Borderline fine. In, in what way? <laughs> no, I am fine. Fine is fine's a funny word, isn't it? I'm definitely fine. I'm definitely okay. Um, I think that um, I think everyone's head's a bit conflicting and a bit of a kind of a no man's land at the moment, kind of with all things considered. But no, I am fine today. I've been decorating and sanding and. It's been nice to actually have something to focus on. Just before this, you said you were decorating a pub. I am, yeah. No, it's um, my boyfriend's family kind of have this um, pub in Canterbury in London. And um, we're just kind of giving it a bit of a whiz and a bit of a shape up before everywhere can reopen, which will be so lovely. So, yeah, just fresh start. Yeah, I think everyone's missing the beer garden at the moment. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like it's. It was really hard at the beginning, wasn't it? So hard, so hard. To be, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I've managed to uh, to curb my drinking that much. I've got a garden. So. Oh, that's nice. You get the sun all day. <laughs> exactly. You're lucky. <laughs> Just sort of so that people have some sort of idea of um, who you are and the type of things you've had to deal with. Um, can you tell me a bit about what you've had to deal with mental health wise and uh, and and what you what you do? I am Bessie Turner. I am a musician. Um, well, that's what people kind of know me for. And I've spoken up quite um, bluntly about mental health, which has got me a little bit of recognition. And it's been really nice to kind of be able to help people. But um, but no, I was brought up by two parents. Um, my mother has borderline personality disorder. My dad has something the same, which is kind of, I mean, he's diagnosed as schizophrenic, but 
he doesn't like that. But, um, <laughs> but so I've been brought up around a lot of kind of um, mental health issues and drug abuse and all sorts. And I think kind of being kind of exposed to that kind of makes you a little bit vulnerable. But it was also amazing because my parents were very good at kind of letting us know our feelings. But I've suffered with depression on and off for years and years and years and had counselling since I was a teenager for lots of reasons. I had problems with eating and I had quite bad OCD at one point. But um, I'm kind of I'm on a good level now. Well, it's good to hear. What was your school life like? Did you know that you felt that something was up? Yeah, I was always I was very kind of... Um, I was very fearful in some ways as a child. I think that kind of my parents are both fantastic. My mum is like one of the best women in the world, but kind of seeing her be at one with kind of her struggles and live with those kind of made me a bit kind of, I don't really know, kind of you're always aware of it. I never felt quite normal compared to everyone else that I was at school with. I was brought up in a really white middle class um, kind of area in Suffolk and I just never kind of felt like I quite fitted in with it. During school, did you find a, a struggle then day to day? Yeah, I really I really didn't like school so much. But with my primary school, I went to a tiny primary school. I think there was kind of a maximum of like 60 kids in it at any one point, which is quite crazy. Mm. Um, and I never really felt that I fitted in. Um, I used to pretend I was ill a lot and maybe I was ill you know kind of maybe with my head um and high school was kind of really good for me in some ways and really bad for me and others um I kind of made loads of friends like kind of found myself a little bit but um but you're a teenager and you're going through all kinds of things hormonally I had lots of issues with that as well and I was put on the pill when I was 11 years old because my um periods were so erratic um so I think that that's another thing that kind of women forget it's kind of going on sometimes in the background the whole time of us living our lives we've kind of got this mad cycle going on and you know I don't know if we always get enough time to breathe really yeah and it's not really spoken about that much I, I was reading something from you just prior to this conversation of you saying you wouldn't be a teenager again if you were paid a million pounds no uh, <laughs> I don't think I would. It was um it was just such a testing time and I think that it is for everybody. Um I don't know, by the time I was a teenager, by the time I was thirteen, um, you know, I was having problems with eating. I was quite chubby as a child and I think that I found so much comfort in food and used to overeat and then consequently bring it all back up again. And at the age of 13 I was still trying to manage my periods and kind of I was having this kind of background neurological issues as well that were being investigated and it was just hard really hard being like a chubby girl at school from kind of a poor background but in a very wealthy area um I didn't have much confidence and I yeah million pounds it would have to be like a hundred billion or something <laughs> <laughs> to be a teenager again but I'm no I wouldn't even for that I don't think I think that I think that everything happened for a reason really yeah, I mean everybody has those experiences well not that those particular experiences but have experiences during school that can be challenging but what's what's eye-opening for me is during school I never you never even think about the fact that people are going through all sorts of different things and especially from a, a female point of view I wouldn't have even thought about that even to this day until you said you know <laughs> it's it's just it's just like pure 
ignorance, really, but yeah, it's, it it's just something that doesn't get spoken about. I think like our generation as well, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 26 and it was kind of the like magazine airbrush size zero culture. And I don't know, I spent my whole childhood life when like just willing to be older and kind of get through it all and not be this teenager or this child with all of these issues anymore. And then you get to that age and over the past few years, I've realised that you're kind of, you're, you're always your inner child, so you can never really escape it anyway. <laughs> but you just have to make the most of what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And you said, obviously, your parents um, both dealt with mental health issues. And so what was your family life gro- like growing up? My mum and dad split up when I was very young. They're both wonderful, wonderful people. They're kind of like these mad kind of, hippie stoners from Suffolk and they lived in quite an alternative way compared to a lot of other people. Um, My dad was a painter and carpenter and we used to see him sometimes on weekends and we lived with my mum. I've got an older sister, Ruby, who I keep referring to as we. She's amazing. Um, And we lived with my mum as a single parent who was kind of, both my parents were on benefits as well, kind of just getting through day to day. We had amazing grandparents around us though that kind of made sure we had school uniform and that we were all okay. It sounds like a real sob story, but kind of I think that I I had an I had an, I had a good time. I had a good time kind of it's yeah, it's quite funny kind of reflecting on it. I think that my my relationships were they were as I went for years and years in certain phases of not speaking to my dad for a while and then not speaking to my mum and kind of over the past year or so everything's just really leveled out and we've just learned to kind of accept each other as for who we all are so it's it's a bit funny kind of delving back into that and thinking that oh my god he was such an arsehole and oh my god they're both junkies but um but I yeah I've kind of you just I've got to the age where I just have kind of let go of all of that and the uh, still, you know, my dad still suffers quite bad with addiction and stuff. Um, but that's how he is. And you just kind of need to be there for him in certain ways and preserve yourself first and foremost, which is what I've learned to do kind of instead of worrying or caring about how other people are. Um, I obviously am quite a caring person, like in general anyway. I don't want to sound like I'm just kind of self-centered, but I have learned that kind of my head and my health is more important than like anyone else's really yeah well well, it's kind of vital isn't it really because you you have to it you have to put yourself first to be able to be there for other people it's it can be quite hard when you when you don't even know how you feel yourself or exactly exactly definitely take care of yourself first and foremost I think that's that's probably something that a lot of us don't do enough to be honest do you have any special like sort of self-care routines that you exercise to to keep yourself sort of um, balanced? Yeah, I do in some ways. Um, Last year, 2019, was absolutely bonkers for me. I ended up in hospital um, for two weeks in February and then one week at the end of last year, December, um, just over Christmas. And each time I had um, sepsis and the first time I had pneumonia and I had these mad infections and, you know, there were an amalgamations of kind of everything kind of going on in my life I think but I think that I was so stressed and just so burning myself out at those points that um that's kind of one of one of the reasons that landed me literally in hospital kind of with a 
intensive care nurse by my side all the time. So kind of since that, it's just learning to respect my body a lot more and take things at a slower pace. And um, I, I really love meditation. I don't do it near enough. Um, I love yoga as well. Just getting out and walking is kind of that's that's my time in my space. Just kind of walking and then letting my head kind of go on little tangents and think of words and writing. Writing, I, I can't kind of recommend to anyone enough. I keep these self-indulgent diaries that I hope no one ever reads or finds. But kind of just by writing things down about how I'm feeling is a form of therapy in itself because I definitely can't afford therapy. I wish I wish I could. And bless our NHS, our wonderful NHS, but their resources are so tied as well. It's kind of, it's not always a feasible thing to be able to rely on the NHS to kind of get a bit of help mentally there. I have had therapy and been lucky enough to be able to pay for it. I mean, I struggled to pay for it at times, but yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be able to do it for a period and, and, yeah, I, I wish that it was something that was more accessible to people because it helps so much. Well, it helped me Completely. so much. And I guess the next best, best thing is being able to air those those things. And I think the thing for me was always figuring it out. It was always like working out where it came from or where something started in your life. If you have a an issue with like loss or if you have an issue with rejection or, or something like that, like working out what happened it's such uh, a relief when you figure it out to the point where I would be in sessions like laughing my head off when it finally clicked. It is funny, you know, I I, I did see a private counsellor for kind of maybe about four or five sessions and it was the best money that I ever spent when I was in a position to. And kind of I think that even just meeting someone for the first couple of times and kind of letting yourself be that vulnerable and that honest and open with somebody I think I think even for someone to experience that so many people never actually get the opportunity to just sit and be their full whole self with a complete stranger and it's uh, it's bloody scary but it's it's I think it's very important I think lockdown in some respects has been really good for kind of people's head spaces I'm sure it's been the absolute opposite for some at some points as well but I think that we live such a fast-paced life kind of when the pandemic started once everyone was kind of over the first like what the fuck is going on but mm. um I think a lot of people have you know whether it's even like baking or cooking or coloring or doing a puzzle like no one really gets to spend that much time with themselves and I think that I think that it's going to be a really healing thing to see how kind of we all are when we come out of it yeah definitely and and it, it is that whole self-care thing as well isn't it because like you might you might find that baking is something you just really enjoy and you can get out of your head. And and it's all stuff that is actually self-care things that you never would give yourself the time to do. It's been quite blissful at points. I've read about seven books in lockdown and I think I probably read about two last year. Reading is like one of my best favourite things in the world. But I think kind of either if you're working a job or if you're gigging or writing or playing music whatever whatever we're all doing I just had such an issue quite a control freak issue with like not being able to kind of let myself relax really Mm. I never really could even sit through a film so it's been really nice to be able to kind of sit and watch and read and just be definitely when did you discover music was a thing for you 
Uh, from a really early age, I think. From a really early age, like as I kind of have kind of brushed over quite a chaotic upbringing with my parents, you know, both quite well, very addicted to drugs and lots of things going on in their own issues. And I just used to write and write and write. I was petrified to sk- sing and I was always so scared of anyone else hearing me sing. I used to sing into my pillow and things like that. But I, I kind of knew I could. It was kind of my like little secret that like, no one knows, but I can actually sing. Um, and I started writing music when I was really, really young. Like I've got old song books. Um, I posted one on my Instagram actually a few, maybe a few months ago now, and it's so funny. Like I wrote a song called like "Why Daddy Why," which sounds, which sounds so bad. Like it, you know, he never done anything like that awful to me. Like don't worry. But um, but I kind of learned that music was a release really really young and then I got bought a guitar when I was I think probably about 11 or so and I never had any interest in learning to play it like to better myself at playing it any more than like just accompanying myself with a song and I'm exactly the same I only ever learned just enough to um to be able to write to and I'm kind of still at that level to be honest it's it's kind of my accessory to Um, my songs and my writing I couldn't really do one without the other but I started performing um, quite seriously I suppose or kind of with a bit more confidence than absolutely none Um, just over a few years ago now so there was a very long build-up more than a 10-year build-up that's for sure for you to build up the confidence to definitely yeah um, yeah would you would you say it's 10 years ago that you started getting serious with trying to write music yeah, I suppose so. Kind of 10 years ago, I'd have been like 16. I'd have done like my GCSE music. I'd have been at sixth form going in about once every two weeks, like smoking a bit of pot, like just hating myself, living in a little caravan. <laughs> but um, but it was when, yeah, I think that I, I started, I lived in um, Ipswich at the time and there was like some open mic nights and stuff. And I got asked along to one of those because I kind of touched on the fact that you know, I you know I sing a bit and I play guitar to some of my friends and they're like, oh, I never heard you. I was like, yeah, I suppose I actually have to prove that that's what I want to do. And then I did take it quite seriously for a while. I really thought, kind of, wow, I've I've got a skill. People seem to really love it, and you know, people book me for shows, and you know, this is really weird. Um, and then I had a huge confidence blip, kind of in my early twenties, and I was in quite an abusive relationship, and just didn't know who I was. So I don't know. If we ever fully do, really, we constantly change and refine, don't we? But um, but yeah, as of a few years ago, I was with a boyfriend at the time who was a drummer, and yeah, he was he was really into my music and what I'd done, and he really helped me kind of bring it out and show other people. So I'm very grateful to him for that. You say you you sort of learnt that writing was cathartic for you right like just writing things down was cathartic Mm -hmm. for you I imagine that translated into the music pretty quickly very quickly what interests me is the way that you can be struggling with something so dark and heavy but when you have a creative outlet the the end result of that experience is something that can be so positive do you use your music to sort of exercise that at all yeah definitely definitely like every time I write a song um, especially if I'm writing on my own, um, I'll kind of come up with a little melody first. And that's why it's so important to kind of really be by myself and be relaxed. I'll, I'll come up with melodies and I'll come up with 
all of my best stuff when I'm like washing up or showering or going on a walk. Like I've never sat down to be like, okay, I need to do something inspiring now. Like it needs to happen authentically. And then I'll sit with my guitar after I've come up with this vocal melody. And then I'll usually open up one of my hundreds of kind of notebooks and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that sounds right there. I definitely write songs for me, definitely no one else, which is why I find it so mad that other people love it. Um, Donkey, for example, which I released a few months ago. I can't even really remember. Um, but it's a song that was played quite a lot on BBC Six Music and people really loved it. But that is, um, yeah, that is about my friend who passed away last year. He hung himself. I was quite apprehensive about releasing it because all of a sudden I'd made this song with my friend Joseph and it was really good. Like, I'm really proud of it. And it's quite like this boppy little, like, angsty, grungy song. And then it was like, oh my God, like, we need to release this. Like, it's wicked. And then I was like, oh God. Like no one actually knows what it's about and I don't want anyone that does know me to like read into it and think that I'm kind of glorifying something from his death or that's that's kind of another thing with music as well. Kind of I sometimes think, oh God, like my biggest fear and I kind of close up and go weird is somebody asking me like, oh, what's that about? And I really, I really don't like that question. Like everyone's totally valid to ask it, of course. But I was listening to an interview um, just on in the background with Kate LeBond. Do you know her? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't remember like who was interviewing her, but someone asked her like, "Oh, what's one of your songs about?" And she was so sweet in her kind of um, in her delivery of it. But she was basically like, "I'm not, I'm not actually going to tell you really like." I write my songs for me and you should listen to them for kind of you, um, you know, kind of take what you want from it. And I kind of sat there and I was like, oh, my God, like she's got the balls to say it because I'm always just like, it's a little bit about this, a little bit about that. But um, but no, it's yeah, I think that I take away from music what I need from it at that time and kind of reflect it onto my personal situations and my experiences and stuff. So do you find that some of your songs that you might not have listened to for a while, if you listen to them now, just for nostalgia's sake, um, do you ever listen to them again and sort of get a new meaning from them? Yeah. That, that first EP that I released a couple of years ago now, it's called 2222 on Spotify. Um, I don't really listen to my own music very often, but kind of um, as a musician yourself as well, I'm sure you can kind of look back on what you've done in the past and just think, oh my God, Jesus, like you were mm. such a scared, vulnerable little thing at that point. And like, I kind of look back on it with, with a lot of pride, to be honest, um, just that I even had the confidence to follow through with it. And I don't know, like words you say, for example, like, that's kind of quite a sad song if you really listen to the lyrics, but I heard it pop on the other day um, on something. I don't really know what. I probably put it on myself on purpose, to be honest, because that doesn't happen very often, does it? Um, but I was like, wow, like this, this is a bop. Like this, you know, like you did good. Like, well done. It's like like an audio portrait of your of your life, really. I mean, obviously, I'm going to ask about the picture you posted on Instagram. It was it October in two, 2018, was it? Yeah, it was so long ago now, yeah. yeah. But it, it, blew, it kind of blew up 
Um, and that was on World Mental Health Day. Can you tell me about that picture and why you posted it? So I posted a picture of myself crying with a towel wrapped around my head, being all hopeless. And I can't really remember the caption so well, but I kind of, I think I asked myself a rhetorical question, which actually my ex-boyfriend asked at the time. And he was like, why have you got a picture of you crying? Right. And I was like, actually, like... Now I'm going to indirectly take out my aggression towards you and show it to the whole world. There's a squirrel out here. Sorry, I just got really distracted. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I kind of ended up posting it, which isn't a very good reason. It started as a bit of a fuck you to him, but I, I'd taken antidepressants in my early twenties, and I think that I, I have had a lot of trouble in my life, and it's been kind of peppered with all kinds of you know chaos and trauma and I was so reluctant to go on antidepressants again I tried CBD I tried all of the exercise but unfortunately and fortunately um I found something that works for me and it is Prozac which is brilliant um and that was the day that I started taking it again and I just remember kind of sitting in the bath and thinking like oh best like come on, you can do this. Because I don't know if you've ever been on any medication or if anyone listening um, is or is thinking about it. But it's such a two-sided thing, isn't it? My friend Ben, he hung himself last year and we're very close. And he was like, oh, like, what are you going on them pills for? Like, you don't need that stuff in your body. Like, blah, 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 blah. And I remember being quite hurt at just his reaction to my decision. Like, you know, I was taking a step to better myself, but people kind of, I don't know, it depends how you look at it and stuff. But I just thought, actually, I've been very lucky with my parents to be completely open and honest and talk about depression and um, how I'm feeling. But it's just something that, you know, was never spoken about at school, not really in like friendship groups. So I just I just really wanted to open a conversation. Um, And then a couple of months passed from when I posted the picture. And I had an interview with a journalist from Suffolk who's a really good friend of mine now called Richard Hoare. And he'd done a little piece for BBC News and it got a lot of attention, which I was really baffled by. I was so baffled by it because I was just doing something that I would have ordinarily done. And um, I wasn't doing it for anyone. I wasn't doing it for attention. And the attention was quite hard to deal with, to be honest. Um, right. But I'm glad that I'm glad that it all happened, and I'm glad that kind of some people kind of when I've like walked out to festivals and stuff, and you've got like a compare introducing you. Sometimes people like mention like mental health, like, and I thought it was a bit corny one time when someone done that before I went and played some songs. But actually, I'm really proud that people associate me with being open and honest about it because I think you know I'd much rather be recognised for helping people or um, being kind of an advocate of like self-love and stuff than the music any day. Mental health within the music industry is, is something that uh, it's become a bit more vocal these days. I think, you know, tragic events of um, all all sorts of people taking their own lives. There is some sort of relationship there between the music industry and, and mental health. Definitely. In your opinion, like what, what do you think that link is? Um, in my position, it's kind of, I, I know people will listen to me kind of say 
this and they'll think well why on earth do you release music if you're kind of really scared and vulnerable and you can't you can't kind of take what people have to say or anything but you have to be bloody brave to try and be a musician you have people judging you all the time you have people come to your shows that have kind of that are like big I am's and you get told that they're from a special place and you know they might be interested in you and then you get to like deals and things and then money becomes involved and it's just a very very you're just very vulnerable you kind of feel you know I feel like a bit of a brand sometimes and then I kind of have to shake myself and reassure myself that I am Bessie Turner but I actually also do have to be that that brand I do have to be that kind of the face of this kind of thing I think that I think that it's really hard for everyone in the music industry as in any industry really but um yeah I just think maybe there's not enough support um a lot a lot is asked of you as a musician and kind of a lot weighs on your shoulders what do you think the music industry should be doing more or less of to sort of lessen the negative impact or do you think they should be doing anything at all? I think that ev- I think that every single job and every single sector in the world should be doing more. I think that you know, like, like people in the government are definitely going to need some therapy after what's been going on now and like mm. all through the rest of time. Like, I think every industry um, needs to have kind of a really clear kind of mental health kind of awareness and message and you know you should be able to go and speak to your teacher or speak to your boss and say like look I'm really struggling and kind of there should there should always be something in place I think so that you can you can feel supportive and have a bit more help um I'm really lucky I'm with a management company I haven't actually um used the service but I know that they have a therapist that I can speak to any time um so so even just even just knowing that is is amazing so I'm very lucky and I think that I hope that that's kind of offered at all of the labels and stuff like that to be honest I I would feel a bit funny maybe going to someone who knows my manager and you know kind of there's that link there but just even having the option is is really nice obviously the situation being being what it is with the pandemic and uh, lockdown and then not being able to perform and things like that how have you managed that how and has it had an impact on you mentally yeah it definitely has I think that I'm quite I can be quite scared anyway like if I'm I'm just sat with you as a friend I'm quite kind of I can be quite I'm just myself the whole time and I can never be anything else and that definitely reflects when I'm on stage as well um I'm not kind of all showy-offy look at me I take this very seriously um and I think I'll, I think I'll be petrified to be honest. I never really used to get nervous, but I think when shows and stuff start happening, I think everyone's going to be a bit on edge. Kind of, you're going to be in a room with a lot of people. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know to be honest. It's been, it's been quite difficult not being able to play music with other people. That's been really hard because one thing that I've been so lucky to have had um over the past few years is people kind of encouraging me and being like you know don't damn yourself down or if I do something and write something by myself or like I have this idea but I don't know if it's very good and people be like oh my god that's great like let's play it like da, 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 da. so it's been hard to finish songs that I've started to be honest um 
in lockdown because I haven't had the kind of someone else to egg me along. But that's something that I I completely need to address and try my best to overcome. I just haven't quite had the self-discipline yet. I haven't respected myself enough to do it. <laughs> I guess as uh, like we say, we've all been trying to learn how to bake and stuff. Uh, maybe maybe you, you can learn how to finish a song. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really rude Wish when I say it out loud, but I don't mean No, it no, like no, that. no. Honestly. I mean, I, I can, but do you know what I yeah, mean? No, like getting it to that next step when, when you've like, you know, if I sit on logic for more than 10 minutes, I end up like in bed for like four days because I'm not good enough to use it. <laughs> I know that feeling. Like, I, I don't even think I can get halfway through a song these days before I put it down and don't touch it again for like four months. You Have you ever seen the um, angriest guitar player in the world on YouTube? <laughs> yeah. Is have that you? you? That's me. <laughs> that is me. Or have you seen the um, angry kid that plays Monopoly? I haven't seen that one. Oh, like, I just, I'm very, I'm, I'm not really... I don't think I'm an angry person and I'm definitely not like an aggressive person until I'm in a room with people and I do something wrong or kind of like mess something up or can't do something right. And then I just turn into Chucky. That's what my mum calls me. You know, like the mad yeah, little like yeah, yeah. horror doll. Yeah, that's me in the studio. Do you think that comes from fear? Do you think that comes from, you say, when you do something wrong? It, it, oh my God, completely. Like it's it's from trying, yeah, I it's from never having lessons in music. It's from it's from so many things. It's from never being in the position to kind of be taught um, formally as a child, like have private lessons and stuff. It's from not being able to afford even like instruments. And I don't know, you know I remember being in Warner Music in the studio there a couple of years ago and I'd Googled on the computer how to use a plectrum um, <laughs> while like the guy was out of the room. And I was like, oh my God, Bessie, like what, what on earth are you doing? Like, why are you here? Why do you think that you're, you couldn't even, you have any reason to be here? You don't know how to use a plectrum. I think it was how to hold one, to be honest. And right. I do feel very bashful, you know, even when I'm having sound checks and stuff. Um, and they're like, what do you want? A bit of this or a bit of reverb or a bit of that. And I've got no idea. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've learned. I've learned so much along the way and I've learned kind of the best way to deal with situations like that. And I'm really good at it and I'm very lucky by just being myself. And it's important to be friendly. And what's really worked for me is not taking myself too seriously, which I'm sure my kind of team around me sometimes wish I would take myself a bit more seriously and kind of be like, listen to this. It's brilliant. I'm Bessie Turner. Uh, 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 uh." But I think that they know that they might never get that. That's part of the draw is the fact that, you know, you could grow up learning how to play guitar wrong, completely wrong, but it works mm-hmm. for you. There's no right or wrong way with music. music. I mean, there is technically a right way and technically a wrong way, but it, if if the sound that comes out is, you know, one of a kind or, or amazing or is something you enjoy, then great. Like that's that's the point of it, right? Like Exactly. It doesn't Preach matter. Preach it, sister. <laughs> There are a million ways to get the same result, but they're all going to sound slightly unique because you got there a different way. Yeah, exactly. No, I think I remember the first time listening to, like finding out who this like mad Daniel Johnston guy was and like listening to some of his stuff and kind of just be like, 
could tell it was just on like this mad old little four track and was like super raw and I don't really listen to much kind of just um voice and guitar like music anymore but like Damien Rice and Elliot Smith and kind of they were they're like totally inspiring and Jose Gonzalez kind of thing like oh wow like you are bloody vulnerable and it is just you and that and that's incredible and maybe I can do that too you definitely do from from <laughs> from listening to what, to what you've what you've made and and from talking to you I mean how how do you view your mental health now versus say five years ago um where was I five years ago I was 21 years old um five years ago was literally that was quite mad actually so I was nearly 22 um and I'd split up with a boyfriend who um he we loved each other very much we were probably like each other's first proper kind of living together um kind of relationships but he had quite a bad problem with alcohol as did I at times I think as well um and it was a very aggressive very chaotic not a very nice relationship and I think about this time five years ago I'd just got out of that and kind of just healing from that and I was actually in a really 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 good space um I was probably taking medication I've been taking fluoxetine on and off for years and years and years and it does really help me I'd I'd love there to be a day when I don't take it um but for now like I'm more than happy um to you know I, I don't feel like I'm a depressed person really when I when I take it and and that's incredible and that's a reason to take it. But um, but no, I'm much stronger. I'm much stronger. I think I'm much less judgmental. I think when you're 21, when I was 21, five years ago, I thought I was like this madly grown up woman, like renting a flat, paying bills. But um, but no, I, I don't know. I'm really happy. I'd be very proud of myself if I could see myself five years ago to see what I'm up to now. How do you view medication? Because... Obviously, you were saying that it's a very two-sided thing, but for for me personally, I've spoken about this before on this podcast, actually, in in the first series. I, I see it as as a as a crutch, like something that something that helps you have a clear head to be able to then maintain a healthy lifestyle. So for me, it would be going to the gym uh, yeah. or or whatever. But but without the medication, I can't motivate myself to get there. I can't exactly. do it. And how do you view medication in in the sense? Because you said when you t- when you're taking fluoxetine, you don't feel like a depressed person. What do you mean by that? I mean, like I don't know. I'm I'm so. And I think what I mean by less judgmental is when I was growing up, I I wanted to be anything apart from my parents. And that sounds really horrible, but like neither of them had jobs. All of my friends like came from like moneyed middle class backgrounds and I thought that was how I should be and that's what I wanted my future to be and I used to see my mum taking pills every morning and when I was a teenager going to counselling I remember I saw this amazing psychiatrist at um through Addenbrooke's hospital um when I was having a lot of problems with eating especially and she was like Bessie do you not want to try them I think they'll really just help you kind of just through this and vividly I was like I never want to be like my mum or dad like my mum has been taking antidepressants since she was like 12 years old and she's still on them now like I never want to do that um but then I have kind of there must have been points where I gave in slightly and I'm and I'm really glad that I 
was less judgmental and I did give them a try because because um, they have helped a lot. As I said, I don't want to be on them forever, but I can definitely notice when I don't take them. Sometimes I, I'm supposed to take 40 milligrams a day and if I'm feeling like I'm in quite a good headspace, um, I I kind of control them myself. So like maybe I'll take two one day and one the next, two one day and one the next. Um, if I ever miss a couple of days, which like does happen sometimes, especially if you're like out on the road or like gigging or like in between places, you just forget. And then I can definitely kind of feel my mood going down. And I think it's like worthiness more than anything. It's kind of confidence and like owning my life and being myself that they, they definitely help with. Um, I think therapy um, is the best thing ever, way better than antidepressants. Right. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, not really into a position to be able to afford it at the moment. I looked at online stuff as well, and it's kind of 50 quid for a half an hour session or an hour session. And that's a lot of money. But if you've got it, I think it would be worth it. But I can't actually imagine being not in the room with that person either, kind of doing a Skype session. Yeah. I don't know how authentic I would find that, but... um. I don't know. I, to be honest, I've never tried anything like that. But it's it seems to me like the price difference is so... I thought it'd be so much cheaper online. It's not that different. Yeah, I, I had done a little bit of research the other day just because kind of everyone says like, oh, what are you going to do when you get out of lockdown and blah, 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 blah. Like my... What I really want to do when I get out of lockdown after I've had a pint in a pub mm. is um, go and see an osteopath. Yeah. Because... They're amazing. They're like witch doctors that just make you better. Um, and I want to go and get some therapy, whether I see someone like every couple of months or kind of just just by paying yourself that bit of self-respect and committing to kind of that self-love and that self-care. Um, like however I afford it and I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to. Um, you make you make yourself afford things, don't you? You make yourself afford your water bill. Like I'll make myself afford. Yeah, I guess therapy. it just it just depends how you view the the importance of something. I think like like say self care is something that is so overlooked by so many people that they wouldn't even consider spending yeah. money on on you know looking after their brain. It's probably not fair, actually. I've been speaking about kind of therapy being expensive and stuff to people listening to this, like if you're kind of I found that definitely when you're under 18 or under 16 like the support for me was amazing there was kind of waiting lists and stuff but um there was amazing mental health services for free um that I had as a teenager and then kind of going into like these years there's there's a lot of services and we're Mm. so lucky to have them but I was offered some kind of like over the phone counseling and that just I found didn't work for me at all I couldn't quite I could just be like not that I ever would but you could just be lying like you don't know what the person looks like Mm. um I did give it a go but um but no, there are definitely services through the NHS, but unfortunately there's just generally a bit of a long wait. And from my experience with it, it's quite, I, I, I don't know if I could cope with going through it again. Yeah. I, I mean, like it's not to this, every, every NHS service to do with mental health and otherwise, to be honest, that I've, I've ever experienced has always been fantastic. It's just yeah. the frequency. It's just the 
how quickly it can happen because in yeah. those in when you're in that place it's like i need something now and yeah. and it's desperation yeah it's not you being demanding and it's not you kind of wanting everything on your plate and kind of expecting the world it's just when you are in that in that complete daze or funk or can't get out of bed or can't even speak or make eye contact with people um getting told that you're going to have to wait maybe a few weeks for a phone call and then maybe about three or four months you know that is not what you want to hear so um so even though we are lucky to have the services like crikey we are it's amazing it's just like you were saying every every sector in the world should should be doing more and unfortunately i think the nhs are doing the absolute most that they can with oh my what God. they have <laughs> it's just they're being they don't seem to be given anything so it's uh it's a tough one that we all know it's not not the nhs but but also we do need more services so it's like mm-hmm. how how do you approach that so I, th- I feel like there's much more of a conversation about it kind of over the past few years and mm. i really hope that kind of um, schools and stuff are kind of checking in a bit um, with kids a bit more. I know that even kind of from having friends with children and stuff, they they do like meditation in some schools and like maybe it's only like once a month or maybe it's only once, but at least kind of at least kids are being introduced to that. Um, that's you know quite an amazing thing. Yeah, and lastly, what advice would you give to to anyone else that might be struggling? Um, at the moment let people love you I've always been really bad at that but it's it's the best thing you can ever let people do and it's kind of you know somebody might be listening to this and feeling really alone and like they've got nobody that does but you know whether it's even kind of going to the shop and just being like oh hi how are you the lady behind the counter or the man behind the counter and I don't know. I get my favorite moments of the day are like little bits of small talk with people and, you know, comparing what this lady's got in the reduced section of Tesco's, you know, kind of even even that, I think, is a little act of love, like just conversation and like human contact is amazing. Or if you have a dog, just oh, yeah. that you're, you're made. I can, I can contest to that. that. That does that does help. <laughs> dogs are antidepressants if you've got a dog don't worry about anything you'll be all right funny isn't it because you do as you go through things my, me um me and my dog you just you just feel like you've been to battle together is oh my gosh you know, is uh and they've just been there the whole time and and yeah they're really really great i don't think there is anything in the world that is better than a dog I know. I don't have one at the moment. Uh, well, I, I've got one. So if we ever meet, you can you can meet my dog. Yay! <laughs> what kind of dog is it? A French bulldog. Oh, she, sweet. She's a rescue. What's her name? Minnie. Minnie. Do you know what? My dad liked that name for me um, as a baby. Um, but I'm so glad I wasn't called Minnie because I was bullied for being a bit chubby. So imagine being called Minnie, but being really chubby and the trauma. Um, so thanks for calling me Bessie instead, <laughs> guys. Well, Bessie, thank you so much for your time. And thanks oh, for no, the chat. Oh, no, not at all. 
So there it is. Thank you so much to Bessie for speaking to me. And if you are somebody that is struggling right now, please reach out to somebody. We do this podcast to share stories and we are in no way mental health experts. So please reach out to your GP, visit rethink.org or any other services out there that can provide you with any help you might need or somebody you know. That is it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back very, very soon. Very soon.